Bay Hills Community Church is pleased to have you with us as children's pastor Nate Cummings asks us, Christmas is over, now what? We're challenged to find what we can hold on to about Christmas that will be helpful when chaos whirls around us. Listen as Nate helps us see God's role in Christmas and points us to ways we can respond to what God did then and is doing today. Even when Christmas is over, right? The light of the world is still here, huh? But Christmas is over, right? Like all the presents are unwrapped, the food's been eaten. Unless if, like my family, we have some of us here, we're having another little Christmas get-together this afternoon, which I love, like being able to like, extend the season. Isn't that awesome? Uh, I think gift cards do that too, right? Like it allows us to then go back and like have more time of Christmas. But, but it's over. So now what? The light of the world is still here, but there is this, we know it, it's coming. If, if we haven't already experienced it yet, the slow fade, right? That, that, that kind of like, you played with that present for like a whole bunch of time, like a whole week straight, we play this video game. Or maybe that's just my wife and I. But like, and then you're bored of it. Or, you know, like you, you parents, like we bought this present, we wanted our kid to play with it a whole bunch, and he plays with the box instead. Uh, you know, that was my, my son last Christmas. But there are these moments that happen in Christmas and over the season that we want to hold on to, right? These things that like hold dear in our hearts and we just love and we, we, we want to, we want to capture them and, and, and remember them and then share them. And you know, some, some of us do that on Facebook and Instagram, right? We, we take these photos and we share them out there and we love it. But one of the ways that we do that even before Instagram and Facebook is Christmas cards, right? Isn't that kind of a little bit why we do that? We, we capture this moment of our family and then share it with all our friends and families to kind of say, hey, we love you, care for you, Merry Christmas. Some of us even write like amazing, long, like lengthy letters and cards and some get creative. But it's trying to capture this moment about, hey, who, this is who we are. We love you. We appreciate you. Here you go. Um, my family, we did one this, this year. This is our Christmas card picture. And so Merry Christmas to all you. You all get a Christmas card picture. It's right there. And uh, But we, we had a lot of fun taking this picture. Um, uh, but... The smiles on our faces, oh, by, by the way, that's my wife, Marissa, my little boy, Levi, he's three. The smile on our faces, that doesn't tell the whole story to this picture. So what you don't see in this picture is that the rest of our family um, on Marissa's side, we're all arguing and fighting about where we're going to take the next picture. They're like, one wants to take it over there, one wants to take it there, one like, no, 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 this is over there. Also, Levi's f- smile, that's not his face from that picture. It's actually photoshopped from another picture where we actually got him to laugh and, and smile and actually look at the camera. Like we, we were like, we're so like, Levi, look here, look here, like look over here, like a flash and we're trying everything we can. And he's like looking at the truck and the trees and somebody like gratefully dumped a bunch of snow near there. And so like we're up in Rockland and like, like bring snow down. It was like all excited. He's like, he wants to go play in the snow. And he's all excited. We can't get him to look at the, the picture. We're like, look there. And so uh, my, my sister-in-law is great at Photoshop, um, and she took that picture and did that and touched it up a little bit. But uh, I think that, that I've had another one. This is a friend of, of ours, uh, Bree Johns and her family. What sweet picture, right? It's sweet family and everything. So this one she actually did share on Facebook. Um, this is how I saw it. Um, I wanted to read for you the caption that she added to this picture. Perfect picture. Uh, let me explain this adorable picture that I love. Brody, one of her little boys there, earlier tripped and fell head first onto the concrete and put a halt to our photo session to cry and kiss boo-boos. See the strawberry on his left side of his head? It's airbrushed. 
Deacon, the other kid, lost his mind out of impatience, so we gave him an iPhone to play games so we could do a couple picture, pictures in his hands, but it's photoshopped out. We couldn't get him to release it from his kung fu grip, and so this is one of the last snaps that we were able to take. You can see the rest of the story and all the rest of the albums. They actually show the rest of the album. You can look through it, and you see it. There's some of these other pictures of just like, wow, this is a lot of chaos and craziness going on there. Um, but this is what we want, right? We want to remember and hold on to those moments that are dear and sweet and amazing. You know, we had that with Levi. It's, it's experiencing Christmas with a three-year-old is amazing. You know, he sees everything for the first time, like this wonder and amazement and awe. He's just so excited. He's, he knows what a Christmas list is and how to get stuff on his Christmas list and what he wants for Christmas. And he loves the lights. We got to take him up to Strand, this, this neighbor, whole neighborhood up in Rockland where like they like every single person decorated it with lights. And you get to walk around and, and see it. It's beautiful. Somebody painted murals and they have nativity scenes and Star Wars and all these great things. And he's going from house to house. Going, light, lights, lights, lights. And he goes to the next one. We're like, Levi, stop. And I'm like, I have to chase after him. And I like hold him. I'm like, okay, Levi, don't want to run from us, okay? And it like next moment, lights, lights. And he's going off there. And like, he just loves it. He's amazed with everything that's going on. And he knows about Christmas presents. And he got a whole bunch of them. And he couldn't wait to open them. And every single one of it, like my, us, uh, this side of his grandparents, the other side of the grandparents, all got him one big gift. And he was all excited about that. And you could tell like how he unwraps that gift. But of course, we had to have him unwrap the pajamas and the shirts and the other stuff first before getting to that big present. Um, but how he unwraps those presents compared to the big one, it's like, oh, cool. Like, he's excited. It's good. But when he gets to the big one, that one that he really, really wants, it's like, cool. Uh, yeah. Oh, it's a digger. It's a dump truck. I get my own digger. I can ride on. Like, oh, this is awesome. A train table. Like, you could just see. He doesn't always say those words, but you could just see it. He's excited. That's what we want to remember from Christmas, right? But we know it doesn't last, right? It, like the song says, like, the ne- next day over. And like, but, but you guys all did it. You cheered. What? Christ, the light of the world is still here, right? So what I want to talk to you today is about it's cr- Christmas is over, but now what? So what can we hold on to? What can we kind of try to hold on to in a way that will, when we live our lives on Monday, you know, work and life, and the chaos comes, and, you know, those months after New Year's, uh, when we don't actually fall through with some of those resolutions we had, what, do we, what can we hold on to and lean into to help us through that season, to see our lives maybe change just a little bit different? And so I want to unpack some of the parts of the Christmas story in a way that, um, of what happened after it. Um, and this is a, a truth that I believe is in Scripture, and I've read in a few different books that's linked with our ch- children's curriculum Um, And it's this statement, that God doesn't hold up a perfect picture. He's writing a better story. See, I I believe that God doesn't hold up this picture of like, this is what it's supposed to be like. He uses everything that happens in our lives as a part of a grander story. And so the nativity story is just like this, right? So often we see a picture like this. The nativity story looks like this, right? Beautiful, perfect Light shining down on baby Jesus, everybody's smiling. Usually the heads are like tilted just a little bit with a little smile. And, and you've got the shepherd and the wise men and you, you just, you capture this moment. You're like, yeah, God came with us, like it's our savior. But if you read the story or if you know anything about it, you know, it's not perfect, right? There's a bunch of stuff that happens that leads up to this moment and the stuff that happens after it. That's crazy. 
it's a little chaotic. It's a little like if you were to plan and write a story to, to bring a savior, to bring a king into this world, you wouldn't necessarily choose to do it in the way that's laid out that we see in scripture and with Jesus. And so I want to I read through a few bits of scripture with you uh, and talk about two things. God's role and our response in this part of the scripture. How after Christmas is over, what, what's God's role in this story and our response to that? And so I want to invite you guys, we're going to look at a couple of the gospel accounts, Matthew and Luke. And so if you have a Bible, uh, go over to, to Luke chapter 2. If you don't, there's actually Bibles underneath every single one of your seats. Uh, there aren't some back there, but we can get, get you guys some if you, if you want. Um, but it, it's uh, a thousand, page 1026, I believe, is Luke chapter 2. Um, we're going to have some of it on, up on the screen too, but would encourage you to open this up, if not now, later, and actually read it for yourself. Um, but we're going to unpack some of these things that happen after baby Jesus comes. And so let me pray, and then we're going to go ahead and read this. Will you guys bow your heads and pray with me? Dear God, you are good and awesome. And God, your presence, your spirit is here with us right now. God, help us to be in tune with it. Help us to listen right now as, as we read your word. And God, may you speak to each one of us what we need to hear. May we be attentive. May be, our hearts be open to what you want to speak to each one of us, including me. God, so be with us as, as I share and we, we get into this. Show us where we need to go. In your son's name, Jesus. Amen. So I'm going to start in Luke chapter 2, but I want to set the stage. So in the whole Old Testament, the first part of the Bible, it's God speaking and doing these crazy things throughout history that leads up to a 400-year period of silence. You see, God did these amazing things throughout history, and we read about it, and then there's 400 years where he doesn't do anything. And that's where we come to the birth of Jesus. 400 years of nothing. And then this happens. God laid out a groundwork for it. He spoke about a savior. Everybody was looking forward to this. Every single Jew that knew anything about scripture was a part of a community, knew that there would be a savior and Messiah to come. There was actually 330 different prophecies, little hints of saying, if you see this or this or this, that's the savior. 330 throughout the whole Old Testament. But then 400 years of silence. And then Jesus comes. And we read this in Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over the flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into the heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which they just, which were just as they had been told. So this section of, of scripture shares the bit of the shepherd. We've got the shepherds. We've got Mary and Joseph. 
Um, they go to, uh, they, he's in a manger, um, but like the angels show up. You would not have picked these people if you were to try to write the story. If you want to get the word out about the son of God, you don't go to the guys that are left out on the side of the city. They were living in the fields nearby, which we believe means that they were probably hired out by some guy that's richer that owns the sheep. And they were the servants caring for the sheep living out there. And so you see these guys, they, they loners for most of their lives, they get to experience seeing God, the son of God for the first time. I think it's amazing. I mean, I think part of it is this underdog story, right? Like we all love a good underdog story. And so God goes to the lowest of people. But to get the word out, do you go to them? I would rather go to kings or somebody, the chief priest, somebody that everybody would listen to. You don't go to the other guys at the bottom of the the totem pole. But that's what God does. And see, there's a bunch more that that I want to share. But it's it's hard because as I've been studying this... I think God's like an amazing author because any good book or story or, or, or film, the great authors and directors, they like layer stuff, right? There's things that you see at the beginning and the end and then make, don't make sense in the end. And God does that. And so as I've read Matthew and, and Mark and Luke and some others, and I, I see it all throughout here and it's like, oh, that's that and that and that. And it's like, it's this like, it's like an onion with layers. And like, I love Shrek and, and that reference that they do. But um, that's what God does here. So like, I'm going to go through some other sections, but I want to first talk about in this, in this little piece and others that I've seen, God's role. And God, I see three things that God does. See, God's role is that he's working. He's working throughout history, throughout scripture, and now he is working. He did some stuff, he did it now, and he will continue to work. Now, we have that period of silence, but that doesn't mean that God wasn't working and setting things up to get to the point that we have Jesus. But I believe that God is working behind the scenes. He is the master plan, master architect, the author. There's this verse in Hebrews that I wanted to share with you. It's uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. This is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So the emphasis is, is mine, but I, I see it in there. Like there is this plan that he's laid out, like this race marked out for us. The wording in there is, is of that he's got this plan that he is working out. And we don't always necessarily see it, but he is working it out. And he is the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. I don't know what version some of you might have at home, but another version of that, some of the words there is author. He is the author of our faith. He is the one writing it for then and now for us. So God, he's marked out this plan. He's, he's writing it today still. And he's done it through the Old Testament now in Jesus and, and for us today. It's like Jesus or God is like the ultimate Google Maps. So yesterday we, we, we had some fun with family and we we're driving from Rockland back, back here. And there was some traffic and Marissa and I knew that. And so we typed in the address for, actually for the church because we had to go set up some stuff here. And so we're like, we saw some of the traffic. It was red on Google. And so like we click, we click start and go. And Google now like it actually talks to you at the onset, like some of the new features. I, I, I like it. It's like, you are on the fastest route possible. There is some minor traffic here, but you will arrive at your t- at destination time at this much time. We're like, sweet. Okay, cool. And so it goes on, gives us the directions and everything. And, um, so we get to a certain part and, and it, and it talks and we're like, there's a faster route available. Would you like to take it? Sure. We'll, we'll take that. So we, we look at it. Marissa's like, does this make sense? 
And I'm like, what? And she's like, well, I guess we'll try it. So she clicks on it and accepts the route. So I forget if it's Dixon or Davis, somewhere in there. I don't, I don't remember the exact streets and stuff of that because I was a little confused. But we take the turn and we veer off. And so I'm going this way towards, uh, you know, San Francisco this way. And, and all of a sudden it turns and I'm going this way. And I'm like, okay. And I see the traffic on the other side. There is none. Like down 80, like I don't see anything. It's like, it's, it's, it's fine. Like, and I'm going this way and I'm starting to turn back like towards the, I'm like, what's going on here, Google? Can I trust you? Like, really? Like, this is faster? I'm going the wrong way. Like, this is not going to work out. And sure enough, it turns and then it starts going down the right way. Then I'm in the middle of nowhere. Fields, farms, um, like pumpkin patches with other stuff that's going on there. I'm just like, okay, where am I? Like, what's going on? Where's the freeway? Is this really going to get me to where I need to go? And supposedly it's like 30 to 40 minutes faster doing this. We're like, okay. So we just keep on driving, going, going, going. And then sure enough, it starts to come closer to 80. Guess what I see on 80? Red lights all the way back. And I'm like, oh, I just skipped all of that stuff. That is awesome. Like I just, I, I just say 30, 40. I see it now. I didn't when I first did, but I see it now. God is like that too. You see, he sees it like Google does, but more. We might not understand why we're supposed to take a turn here because we see, no, I'm supposed to go that way, right? This is the way, this is the right way, right? But God's like, no, 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 this way. And we don't understand, but God does. He sees the dangers. He sees the things ahead and he's trying to speak to us. He's trying to work this things out because he's got the plan. He's got the full map. See, this is the second point. He is speaking like Google does, (laughs) but God speaks. God speaks through his word. He th- speaks through angels and dreams, like we see in this, this passage. He's spoken through prophets. He speaks through preachers and pastors today. He speaks through prayer. He speaks a lot. Now, what about that 400 years of silence? What do you think is going on there? See, what God had done is he had laid the groundwork time and time again of saying these things about coming back to him and repent and, and, and turn back to God and don't go this stray way. And, and time and time again, the Israelites and the people of God turned from God, turned from him. See, he spoke all of this stuff. He laid out all the groundwork. He laid out those 330 prophecies, those clues about, no, I'm going to save you. Just trust me. And time and time again, they didn't and they fell away and they went their own, they did their own thing. They kept on going straight on 80 instead of turning and going, going the right way. And then he speaks again through an angel to some shepherds and starts the whole thing up again. And a whole bunch of crazy, amazing miracles and things that Jesus performs. And to this day, using churches like this one and many others around California, the U.S. and the world to impact this community and people because he loves us. And that's the, the third point. See, he is loving. See, God is working throughout all of it. And he speaks to us. He's trying to give us these little clues and prompts along the way. But it's all because the why behind it is because he is loving, both in his character and in his actions. What he does to you and me every day throughout our life is loving. He cares for us. Did you catch what, like, he says it a few different times, but the angel said to the people that what this is going to do, it's going to cause you great joy. A king, there's going to be a savior. Like the, Jesus's name means the one who saves. Like this is like, I love you because I, I want to care for you. I've got a plan to save you. I, this is going to be it. Like, listen, and the shepherds do. 
and they go and they get to see the Son of God. See, I, I think these three things is, is a great picture of what God is like. He is working, he is speaking, and he's loving. And he's writing this story, this better story, for the people in this Christmas story, the nativity, and for you and I. So I'm going to get into some other scripture in just a little bit, but I actually wanted to share another thing with you first. So Levi, we love kind of trying to find ways that we can creatively bring the word of God into our home every day and and, in ways that like are easy. And and we found this, it's called the Jesus Storybook Bible. And I'd encourage you to write the name of this down, the Jesus Storybook Bible. If you have kids or you know somebody who has kids and they don't have this, um, what this is, is it's not like a Bible, like as a scripture, like um, summed up. They've taken that, they've taken the stories in that and create, crafted them in a story-like fashion that it captivates the imagination of a child. And I'm going to read a section of it because I think you'll get it when I read it. It's scripture spoken through here, but it's not scripture. But it is a great way to captivate the heart and the mind of a child. And actually, so many people, so many parents were doing this that the parents actually did it. They loved it and were engaged with it that they decided to take the words and create an adult version of this. And so I want to encourage you to do this. But right now, I want to read this because I think it ties in what I'm talking about here. So this book starts out like this. God wrote, I love you. He wrote it in the sky and on the earth and under the sea. He wrote his message everywhere because God created everything in his world to reflect him like a mirror, to show us what he is like, to help us know him, to make our hearts sing. The way a kitten chases her tail, the way red poppies grow wild, the way a dolphin swims. And God put it into words too. And he wrote it in a book called the Bible. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling you what you should and shouldn't do. The Bible certainly does have some rules in it. They show you how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think the Bible is a book of heroes, showing you people you should copy. The Bible does have some heroes in it, but as you soon find out, most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. They make some big mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid and run away. At times, they're downright mean. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible. But all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story. And at the center of the story, there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in a puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together. And suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. And this is no ordinary baby. This is the child upon whom everything would depend. This is the child who would one day, but wait, our story starts where all good stories start, right at the very beginning. And it goes on to illustrate and share different stories throughout the the Bible. We've had a lot of fun reading this to Levi, but I have found a new perspective of the Bible through reading this. 
you see, I see it now. I see how God has worked throughout history and even today to lay out this story that you and I get to be a part of. He is the author. He is working things out because I've seen stuff in my own life I can't explain. I don't understand how certain things came to be a certain way, but he does. And I trust him even more today because of the things that I saw in the past. You see, God doesn't hold up a perfect picture. He's not wanting you to to just copy this, be this picture. That's it. There's elements of that, but that's not it. What he's doing is writing a better story. And see, these characters in in this scripture that we're just about to read in a little bit, they were a part of that. And they have different responses that we, I want to dig into right now and learn from. But the challenge is how could we respond to God's role in this story? And so I'm going to go ahead and go into this next section talking about our response. God is working, speaking, and loving. And so what's our response to this? What can our response be to God doing these amazing things and writing this out? And so in this section, I want to actually go over to Matthew. And so if you have your Bibles, flip over to Matthew and it's on uh, page 966. And we're going to Matthew chapter 2. And this is the section that we're going to go on and, and looking at some of the responses that the different characters played in this story. And so here it is. Chapter 2, starting in verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers in the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people in Israel. There's one of the side note. There's one of the prophecies. That's one of the 330 referenced where the child would be born. Then Herod, continuing in verse 7, called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it arose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Do you guys see the speaking, the dreams used in the Magi and Joseph? It's, it's, it's all in there. God speaks and he does this thing and he has, he's working these things out. He has this plan that he laid out in the word before, lived out in Jesus and today impacts our life. And our response, I've got three responses that I want to encourage you with. And the first might not make sense, but it does. And often God does that to me, is this, to fearfully trust the first response I want to talk and encourage you with is to fearfully trust. You see, there's two responses of fear in, this pa- in these passages. Did you guys catch them? The first one is Herod. So Herod, for, let's go, look at that verse. Herod, in Matthew 2, 3, it referenced he was disturbed, right? The Magi come into the, the city. They're saying, hey, there's a new king. We want to worship him. Herod is the king. 
Um, he is uh, not a Jew. He practices a bunch of stuff for the Jews. He's known as Herod the Great because he actually did a lot of great things. He helped refurbish the temple and did some stuff for the Jews to try to make himself more likable by the Jews. But he also oppressed them and did some other crazy things that we're going to read about in a little bit. Um, he's a little psychotic, we think, maybe bipolar. But uh, he is disturbed at the mention of a new king coming into the city. That they're looking to praise a king and he's disturbed. Now he says later on that he wants to go worship him. But if you put those two things together and if you know the rest of the story, he's not trying to worship him. He's afraid. He wants to be king. He doesn't want some other king to to come into play. Whether he thinks it's an adult or one that's going to be born, he doesn't want somebody else to, to come in to threaten his rule. He wants to have control. He selfishly wants things to be the way he wants them laid out. And so when there's some mention of something else coming in, he's afraid. I believe that's what drives him to do some of the things that we see laid out here is that he is driven by fear. But the other response of fear is not one out of selfishness or out of, I want things my way, but it's what we see in the shepherds in Luke. Throw that verse up there. It's in, it was Luke 2, 9 through 10. Did you guys notice it? The angel shows up and what, what do the shepherds do? They're terrified. And the, the, the angel even has to say, don't, no, no, wait, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Do you know, actually, like almost, I think it's every time an angel shows up or God shows up, the response of people is fear. It's terror. It's, it's this like, they bow down in awe. It's this like, oh, I am not worthy. Like I, they understand that this is some awesome, powerful being before them. And they are just, they back down in fear. And, and you can't get away from that. There is something powerful and meaningful about a fearful response to the Almighty God that is healthy if it's linked with your understanding of who God is in response to Him. Because He's not a God of judgment. He's not a God of coming to come after you. He's one that loves you. And He's worked out all these things to save you. And so the angel quickly says, What? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid because I bring you good news of great joy. See, he's communicating love. I care for you. God loves you and has worked these things out for you. And so fearfully trust God. Trust in that love. Trust that he is speaking and working things all out. But do it connected with this fear of understanding he is great and mighty and awesome. And so in that we serve and trust and put our faith in him. See, I think this whole thing is actually summed in faith. And there's one question I want to propose to you in relation to your faith. What situation or area in your life do you need to fearfully trust God with? What are you maybe reacting, not like Herod does later on, but like there is some bit of you that is maybe holding on to or controlling or wanting things to go a certain way. And you're a little afraid that maybe if they don't go that way, that things are going to not turn out well. What is it? What situation or area of your life do you need to fearfully trust God with? When I take those moments to really ponder on questions like this, I easily can skip over them. Things come to mind, especially when it comes to my little boy or my wife. I want control, or at least I want things to go a certain way. And when they don't, it's hard. To fully put my trust in, in, a, in a God that I can't see over my little boy, to know that things are going to turn out well, when I know the influences and the things around him in this community, in this world, 
it's hard to trust that things are going to work out well. So I want to do everything I can, but there's this thing that wells up inside of me of fear. I'm afraid of certain things. What is it for you? I think we all have something. And maybe this one isn't so strong with you. That's okay. Got two more. So the second response is this. Second response is to patiently act. So this one's a little weird, a little contrasting, right? Patience, acting. So waiting, and how does that work out? I believe I see it in scripture. I think it's laid out with the, what happens in these 400 years and the Magi and the shepherds. You see, they knew of the stories. They had listened to God speaking and they knew that he was at work. And so when God spoke and did something, even if it was just a hint of some stars in the distance, not angels, the Magi didn't have the angels in their dream. They just saw some stars. They were paying attention. They, they respond. They'd acted. There's this waiting that happens. But in that, you're not just sitting back and go, all right, God, do your thing. You're doing whatever you can in that moment to act and eagerly expect God to do something. You're eagerly expecting God to work things out. And so you do everything you can. You know, so we had a Christmas dinner. Actually, we have one. So we have one tonight. Um, and so Marissa, like even before Thanksgiving, we're like making preparations for Christmas because we know we're having family in town. We're having these different dinners. So we're not waiting to the last minute to get everything ready. We're not going to like, okay, midnight last night or you know, 11 o'clock last night. Okay. Hey, we, we need to clean things up. We need to get food. We need to do things like we, we know this is coming. So I guess we should get ready. So we decorate, we, we clean things up and we do everything. There's still last minute preparations that happen, but there is a whole waiting period that we have to wait until the actual event, but we're not just sitting back on our heels. We're doing things. And that's what I want to try to get across with this idea of patiently acting that we would have this sense of, okay, I'm going to wait and hold off, but I'm going to act in the midst, the midst of it. And so there's a couple of verses that I want to point out. Here's the first one. So Luke 1:38, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may your word to be, to be to me fulfilled. Then the angel left her. He spoke, she acted. Okay, let's go. Let's do it. There's Luke 2:15 through 16. When the angels had left them and gone to the heaven, the shepherds said to the one another, let's go to Bethlehem and seeing this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who is lying in the manger. There's this hurry. There's this, I'm going to act and do something, but there's this waiting period often that ends up happening. I don't know about you, but I think having a baby, I, I remember from Marissa, it doesn't happen overnight, right? Like it takes a few months, right? So you find out about it. Uh, Mary gets this, you know, the, spoken to it. You find out about it. And then there's waiting, waiting period, right? You got a, you got a, nine months or so. Like, I don't know exactly when she was told, but I'm sure there's probably a couple weeks where she's like, is this real? Like, r- really? Like you don't feel things exactly right away. But then once she does, then she's like, Okay. Yeah. So then there's this whole period of time where she feels things growing. Like it's, it's not like it just happens overnight. There's this period of time of things happening and she, but I'm sure that she had to do things. And there's other stories in there that we read that she went and visited Elizabeth and, um, there's other stuff that she did to try to protect herself. And David actually talked a little bit about that, at Christmas Eve services about Mary's response and what she did in the midst of this. But there's a lot of waiting, but things that you have to do in the midst of that. What did the chief priests do? They knew of the scriptures. They knew all of these hints of what would needed to happen. They get these magi, these wise men, these kingmakers. That's another name for them. 
They actually were probably really well off and knew all sorts of different things. And one of the think, uh, roles that they played was uh, new kings that would be in that territory would have to go through training with them, and they would then put their seal of approval on them. It's one of the things that we know about some of the wise men acts. Like, so they're coming to basically claim, proclaim him as king. They're magi. There's wise men. And so the chief priests, do they make any effort to go see or check this thing out? This thing out? The shepherds, they recognize it. And they're like, let's go check it out. Let's do it. Okay, let's go. It's right here. Let's do it. The chief priests and the teachers of the law in the city, it's not that far of a walk. They don't even check it out. They don't go to, to find out what's happening. They just hold off. See, I think we, in the negative response of this, sometimes hold off too much. We see God speaking. We see him working, but we just wait. We're just like, okay, I'm, yeah, I, I, okay, but I'm just going to not do that. Yeah, I know, God, I need to work on this area in my life, but I'm just not going to, I'm going to wait a little bit. I, I think I need to be a little bit older to be able to do this, or I, I think I need to be in a different place financially to do this, and I'm, so I'm just going to wait. Or the other response is we hurry into it too quickly. What did Herod do? He found out about this king, tried to say, hey, Magi, let me know, and then the Magi don't. He figures this out. And so if you, don't, if you don't catch this, he goes and orders all the kids murdered in Bethlehem in the vicinity. He orders them all murdered because he finds out that the Magi knew about what's going on. Like they kind of guessed his motives and stuff like that. What do you think Mary and Joseph would have done if, without the dream if they find out from the Magi that maybe there's something going on here? What do you think anybody protecting a, king, a future king would have done finding out that you've got Herod, this madman, coming to kill him? You wouldn't stay in Bethlehem, would you? You'd go. You would, you would get out of there. So what, why is Herod still attacking? If he really thought this through, he probably would rec- like there's a time period of the communication that happens here. Would have really recognized, you know what? They're not going to be there. I'm still going to go after him. But he doesn't. He just lashes out. And he kills all the, the people in this vicinity. He doesn't wait. We, I think, sometimes do that too. We act too quickly. And we respond with haste when we actually need to be waiting on God and listen to his prompting. And he's speaking, and if we're listening, we can then act appropriately. But if we don't, we can then maybe lash out like Herod. Now, hopefully, I don't think any of you would kill a whole bunch of babies. <laughs> but I think there's some truth here that we need to let sink in. So these, these things, I, I see each of these layered throughout Scripture. It's like this God is like speaking each of these things, patiently acting and fearfully trusting. Like you see it in both accounts and all over the place. And I said it before, it's like this grand story with all these different Easter eggs and things. And I love a good story. And I think God has, has put these things in there for us to listen to. It's like a great Marvel movie or saga, right? Like Marvel, I love it because it's like, it's not just one movie. It's like 20 or more. Who knows how far they're going to go with it, right? The first one, there's some things that happen. And then you watch the second one and you're like, oh, I get that that happened over there and why that did there. And then you watch Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and then you get what happened on the underside of it. And it's like this really, really cool thing. Or Star Wars. How many of you watched Star Wars in this last week or couple weeks, right? Really, really cool thing, right? So like when I watched that, there's moments in there that you see something and it resembles something that happened earlier. And I don't know about you. What, my reaction was like, oh, that's so cool. 
like this, this nostalgia or this kind of like you, you recognize it and you're just like, okay, the way he did that, that was like that or that spoke to that. And there's this, it's like echoing or shadowing what happened in the past. And he, I, I loved it. It was really, really cool. Like I'm going to get it. Yeah. But <laughs> ah, Star Wars. Awesome. I, I, I only watched it once though. I need to watch it like two or three times. Some of my friends did, but like, um, cause I want to catch those things. I want to learn it. Like God does the same thing with us. He's layered all this stuff all in and around us through his word, through history. Are you listening to him speak? Are you waiting and eagerly expecting him to work? He's done that in all of these things. And the final one, just like God's role, the final one that I want to encourage you with is to lovingly sacrifice. So the third thing is to lovingly sacrifice. God first loved you, so we respond in love. God acted first and then we then respond with love. And it's a sacrificial love. It's not of holding it to myself. It's putting others first to lovingly sacrifice. There's a couple um, scripture up here. The priests and the teachers, so they, they don't do anything, right? They, they know the head knowledge, but it never made it into their heart or recognize it. They're not listening. They don't, they don't sacrifice. The next one over there is the Magi. Matthew 2.11, what do they do? They, they sacrifice tons of time to make this journey, tons of money and resources, and they don't only do that, they bring these majestic gifts, very, very, very expensive gifts. They sacrificed a bunch. And here's the other part I want to talk about with them. Both the Magi came to worship God, the Son of God. So did the shepherds from the highest of kings and the wise men to the lowliest shepherds. So whether you're rich or poor, there's some bit of response that should be nestled in lovingly sacrifice. What can you respond in love and sacrifice? And it's not just money. It could be time and your talents and so many other things. But what situation or area of your life do you need to surrender to Jesus? Fearfully trust, patiently act, lovingly sacrifice. I was reading this last week, a blog, uh, this, this parent Q blog. It's, um, it's actually linked with our curriculum again. And I want to encourage you if you're a parent, uh, check it out, the parent Q blog, but on it, there's this lady who writes, um, this blog post about Christmas, the reality of Christmas. And, um, she sees this picture on it and I wanted to share this picture with you now. That's a different picture of the nativity story, isn't it? It's not this holy night like shepherds and magi and praising and they're not smiling. Mary looks a little wiped out, I could imagine. What they're trying to do is capture that first night. This painting is a 19th century uh, painter, Gary Melchers. And the blog post, she goes and writes and talks about a few things. I wanted to share just one little thing as we close. This is what she writes. I can remember when I became a parent for the first time. I remember the hype, preparation, the countdown of days, a sort of advent as well. The waiting and its anticipation. And then the baby is born. And it isn't that any of the stuff you anticipated is less true. It's just that the reality sets in. And the feeling of purpose you thought you would have as a parent is trumped by sheer exhaustion. And the moments of bonding and sentiment are replaced with inexplicably crying child you can't seem to console. And the magic of it all is sort of loses its luster. In hindsight, you find the wonder again. But in the moment, you're just putting one foot in front of the other, 
waking up, going through the routine, going to sleep, and repeating. This painting reminds me of that. Mary and Joseph didn't have the words of poets to make their night in a barn meaningful. They didn't have the perfect harmony to offer a bigger perspective on what this night might eventually mean. They didn't even have the shepherds yet. They had each other, tired, uncertain, anxious, and alone. And they had this baby, this beautiful baby, who they'd heard might one day save the world from its sin, but tonight just needed to sleep, to eat, and be changed. Melcher's painting reminds me that the purpose and significance of the bigness of Christmas can sometimes crowd out the reality of it. And what was true that night 2,000 years ago can be true for us today. She goes on to say, and this, this is what she finally wraps up with, as unmagical the reality can seem in the moment, we never know the story it will end up telling in time. See, whatever matters in your life now will matter a whole lot more over time because there's a better story that God is writing in your life. What's going to be your response? What's going to be your response this day, tomorrow, when some of us have to go back to work? When the luster and the, and the excitement, the bigness goes away and you're left with a response of, what am I going to do? I want to encourage you, lovingly sacrifice, patiently act, and fearfully trust. I believe these three are rooted in faith, hope, and love, which are themes that are spoken throughout the whole scripture. You see, I believe faith has to have that trust and fear element. I believe it's hope that allows you to get through the times of perseverance when you need to wait and be patient, but sometimes you need to act in that. It's the hope that drives you through all of that. And then love, which allows you to sacrifice and get through it. Fearfully trust, patiently act, lovingly sacrifice. Faith, hope, and love. That final verse, Romans 12, is one that's really spoken to me, and I believe the same faith, hope, and love are found in this. And this is my encouragement and my prayer over you. Be joyful in hope. Be patient in affliction. And be faithful in prayer. You see, there is a hope. One day there is going to be something amazing happen in this world and in your life. There are things that God is working out. He is working, He is speaking, He is loving in your life right now. There is hope for you today. So be joyful in it, but be patient in the affliction. Have the faith to get through whatever affliction may come your way. Be patient through it. Be driven out of that love response to God that he does love you. And whatever affliction is there, you can respond with patience and faithfully prayer. You see, you can attend Sundays, you can read the word but it really takes a faithful prayer life, a communication, a relationship with God to develop that faith and understand that love. And I want to encourage you to faithfully pray. So be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. Will you guys pray with me today, right now? Dear God, we praise you for your goodness. You are great and mighty. God, your spirit is present with us right now. And God, may you let us, let this, these things sit with us. Whichever one we need to respond to, help us to act on it. 
Help us to listen to you speaking. Help us to understand your love and that you are working out all things. God, help us to respond in loving sacrifice, patiently act, and fearfully trust you. God, you say don't be afraid and that you bring good news. Let us feel it. That when things go south, when things fade, when it's the day after Christmas, help us to still understand and know that the light of the world is still here. God, you are so good. You're so great. We praise you today. In your son's name, Jesus. Amen. It's our hope that today's podcast has enriched your life and answered questions you may have had. If you'd like more information about what was said in this podcast or about Bay Hills Community Church, you can reach us on the Internet at www.bayhills.net. Bay Hills, located in El Sobrante, California, is radically committed to reaching the unchurched in the Bay Area and to developing believers into fully devoted followers of Christ. Thanks again for listening.